This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. They say a week is a long time in politics. Well, it's even longer time in CONCACAF. From the dizzying highs of a Dosacera win, the U.S. men's national team was force-fed a big slice of humble pie in Jamaica, while Mexico's problems went from bad to peor in Edmonton. Canada are top of the standings after eight match days in Panama. Don't know when they're beat. I, Mr. Heath Pierce, will be breaking down all of the November World Cup qualifying window action alongside Jimmy Conrad and Paramount Plus's Dre Cordero. Que Golasso begins right now. Now listen, everyone. Welcome to the uh, one and all show. And if you're watching live on YouTube, do your part to spread this video far and wide by simply liking the video and clicking subscribe. And hit us up in the live chat with your observations, questions, grievances, or whatever it is you need to get off your chest. But let's keep things as civil as possible. And one more thing before we get started. The K. Golasso Twitter account is within touching distance of surpassing 3,000 followers, which we appreciate. But help us reach that milestone today by following at K. Golasso Pod. Jimmy Conrad, Dre Cordero, what is going on, guys? Jimmy, we'll start with you. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, as you can see with the sign behind me, I wrote, no mommy sway, Mexico, you know, because they had two games, two big games, two hard games away from home, the hardest games on their schedule, let's be honest, and they lost both of those, and it's kind of fun to see them absolutely lose their minds. They are like every single person. Maybe the players and coaches are fine, and I'm sure they're disappointed, of course, but everybody surrounding that is just, they can't be bothered right now. They're so highly emotional. I've got plenty of time for it, Heath Pierce. Oh, I love it. Dre, how you doing, man? I'm great. Can I just say, before we like get uh, into all of this, that you guys have become my go-to U.S. national team podcast before and oh. after every oh, single one you. of these World qualifiers. Honestly, like I don't miss it. Uh, it's entertaining. It's insightful. Uh, so I love it. And it's not just because I'm, I'm part of it. That helps. Uh, but, but, <laughs> you guys are killing it. So You're welcome on the show anytime. Yeah. yeah. Anytime. yeah. <laughs> that, gets you a free, that gets you a free pass free in pass. the door anytime you want. Um, but uh, I guess, Dre, let's start with you. Uh, obviously, you've been... Deep in all of this uh, from the very beginning, Canada beating Mexico, uh, this fallout from Ice Teca. What I mean, what are you hearing in whether it's in the the uh, vacuum that is Twitter or elsewhere about this match, uh, yeah. just about Mexico's sort of state of affairs? I mean, g- give me your take on on things as they stand right now. So it's a good thing that Mexican culture as a whole doesn't have a tendency to overreact uh, to things, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. Very calm. Collective. Honestly, yeah, yeah. You, you would think it was like the U.S. after the TNT game last cycle, the the, the way that the response has been. And I, I think there's reasons to be way more disappointed and, and, you know, smashing that red panic button based on the result and performance against the United States than against Canada. Because at least against Canada, they showed fight at the end. They clawed their way back into that game. Canada was really asking for time at the end of that, hanging from the crossbar. So I thought there was more of a response from Mexico there. What there isn't on that team is a lot of goals right now because Raul Jimenez is obviously not at the level that he would expect from this Mori. Uh, 
hasn't been, you know, the, the go-to, you know, volume goal scorer that they would like. Um, they've got plenty of playmakers. They've got still have a good solid squad. Um, but against the, the better teams in CONCACAF, they're clearly struggling, especially away from home. Um, but again, if I'm if I'm Mexico, if I'm the coaching staff, if I'm the fans right now, I'm, I, I like the fight that I saw against Canada. I hate the result. I don't like anything about what I saw against the United States because I can't recall, you guys maybe know better than I, I can't recall a time when the U.S. looked that much better, that much more dominant than Mexico in official competition. And I don't think that there was quite that distance between the two teams in Canada, throwing the elements. None of this is going to matter to them. Obviously, the narrative is like on a runaway train right now. Um, but I think with some perspective, it wasn't as bad as the result is. Yeah, Jimmy, you know, for your take on this, I mean, do you think it was it was all of those factors, as Dre just mentioned, in terms of the conditions, you know, the, the weather, all these things just feels like... Mexico is finally experiencing what I feel we talk about in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, right? The difficulties of a pitch, the difficulties of conditions. They're used to playing in, in adverse conditions, playing most, some of those players playing in Mexico are growing up in, in, in the Americas, so to speak, with the humidity and elevation of Azteca, these things. Do you feel like they're getting a taste of that medicine in a way that they haven't? Or do you think this is just sort of a, a little bit, a blip on the radar in terms of, of what they're going through? Because they're still not in a bad place in terms of the table third in the table just a point in front of of panama no i think they're going to be fine ultimately uh, the runaway narrative I, I love that kind of description of how it's going for mexico and the media and, and all that good stuff i do want to touch upon really quick that if there's ever inclement weather or the field is bad it always feels like there's one team that's always using that but the other team has to play in the same conditions and on the same crappy field i don't understand why that's such a big, as big of a narrative as, as it is. I'm sure there's plenty of Canadian guys that are on the field. Like, I don't want to play on a frozen, you know, turf field, but they use it to their psychological advantage. Very similar to how a second, I know it's not easy to play in altitude. And, and you know, we've, as the U.S. men's national team, we've trained in Denver before to get used to altitude. So we've been prepared for that game. That's just one element of it. And yes, when you play at altitude, that first 10 or 15 minutes, you can't feel your legs. You don't really know where you are. It's 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 crazy. And then when you get past that first win and get into your second, you're fine. But for that first 10 or 15 minutes where it really hits you, I think that should play into it a little bit, but I don't think that's what the story should be about. I really want to get into this Mexican team and why it took them so long to play with urgency. When mm -hmm. when they go down a goal, they even did it at the, at the end of the United States game. They started to play and maybe a little bit more direct, but even if they were trying to play through midfield and kind of, maybe align themselves more with their DNA, which is playing out of every situation. They were doing it with a little bit more purpose. The runs were a little bit harder. They were running with, with trying to, to try to make something happen every time they went forward, as opposed to, uh, maybe, you know, the pace, the rhythm of it was different. And we saw it against Canada as well. And they almost had that game at two, two to Dre's point and to everybody watching, they were there. So imagine they didn't play that well and they still had a chance to maybe escape with a point. It's a real fine margin at the highest levels, and they're just on the wrong side of those margins at the moment. They have a ton of home games in this last six games. I think five of six are at home, if I'm not mistaken, or four out of six. Was that I mean, Mexico? Yes, Mexico. Mexico's four. got four games left at home. They've got the most of anybody uh, in terms of home games think, left. So, so if they can't do the business with four out of six at home, no matter who they're playing against, they don't deserve to go to a World Cup, in my humble opinion. So if they can just got to tap into that urgency a little bit more, and I think they'll end up seeing more goals from the players that we expect them to score. Dre, on, on, in your balance between Canada and Mexico, because a lot of times we've always talked about U.S.-Mexico, and then we talk about the opponent as this thing that should be controlled by the U.S. or Mexico. And when they don't, we talk about the failures of the U.S. and Mexico. 
I mean, how much of this is Canada and the development of this team and the players and the quality that they have, at least in, in, in your perspective? How much of that is the Canada development uh, versus the the sort of falling off or the lack of form from Mexico in this one? Yeah, so I got excited uh, halfway through, um, through, through Jimmy's uh, spiel there because I thought he would say, I want to talk about Canada, right? Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't. I, I, I had to pile on Mexico, Dre. Yeah. I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do think the attention ought to be. And obviously, it's not neither here nor in, in, in Mexico is the attention going to be really on Canada or are they going to be getting the, the, the level of coverage and credit that they deserve. Um, but let's be absolutely clear. They deserve all of it, all of the story, all of the headlines um, based on the performances there and throughout these World Cup qualifiers. We just kicked off the second half um, of, of the Ocho and Canada are deservedly top of the table. Yes, it, it's a fine margin. It's, it's a one-point uh, lead over the two sort of CONCACAF giants. Um, but I think they're a highly competitive team in a way that I don't remember them ever being. And John Herman obviously gets a ton of credit for that. I think the story here is belief, right? It's the, the, the rise and the trajectory of belief for a Canada team that looks like they're convinced that they're going to the World Cup and, and mathematically look like they've convinced all of us they're going to the World Cup and the seemingly lack of belief that we're seeing in Mexico when they don't have that fight for 90 minutes. Usually Tata Martino teams are aggressive. Usually Mexican national teams are really difficult to play against. Neither the U.S. nor Canada really seem to be struggling or having this you know horrific time. And it felt like Mexico was trying to match the intensity of both of those teams as opposed to what is the usual story, which is the other way around. The big thing, I think, for, for Canada beyond just the belief is that they have actual legit weapons to threaten you, right? So they're well-coached, they're organized, they're not going to give you a ton of chances, but they've got now a number of guys, not one player they, they, that they depend on, but two, three players that can create. Uh, Tejon Buchanan is emerging as, as, as a proper star. Uh, Kyle Lahren obviously scores two goals. We know what he was doing all the way back in his, in his days in Orlando. Um, so they've got more threats, I think, than they've had, at least in my memory. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and that's that's the difference, right, is when we looked at teams that have a hope, and I, I, I use Panama, for example, they have a belief system. They're well-coached, they're well-organized, but on paper you don't go, that's a, team, that's a World Cup team when you compare them to the rest, right? Whereas Canada has that belief system and they're buying into that belief, but they also have the quality. We've seen in the past, whether it's Costa Rica, they have three, four players that you're like, okay, these are global stars. They're, they're, they, they can create an impact, but it's going to take more than that. And Canada seems to have a little bit more of that hybrid package. Jimmy, I want to get your take on this, and, and Dre, follow up on, on, on this question as well. How much does that result, Canada beating Mexico, change how we viewed the success of the U.S., getting four points in this last window, right, uh, and, and doing what we say, win your home games, get a point on the road. How much does that change the narrative of that, knowing that this top four is now really packed, it's really crowded. Do we need to look back at some of these games and said there should have been more points out there, or are we still in a good place considering we've got El Salvador home, Honduras home coming up, uh, and Canada away. I, I think that hopefully it gives some perspective. That was a word that Dre used a little bit earlier that sticks with me. And we've been talking about it, maybe not as, uh, as specific as saying the word perspective. But when you see Mexico, who prior to this window were undefeated with four wins and two draws, they are going to struggle. Canada's going to go through something where all of a sudden it's not working. And they're going to go through their... I mean, they've already got to figure out John Herdman is the, is the coach and they've got their players, but they're going to struggle. It's just going to be part of it. You can't, I'd be really impressed if they went through 14 games without having a couple moments where they didn't look great. Match day one, they actually weren't great. They had to get a pretty fortunate penalty to draw with Honduras at home, 1 1, if you remember on that. So I, that thought kinda, it was, like, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was, well, Honduras stop, were better. Stop. We don't have to go back to that, but I do think stop. Honduras were the better team and, and humbled a Canada who probably looked at themselves on paper before adding that belief and that work that came from the Gold Cup with that makeshift squad as they were losing players to injury. Right. But they 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 started to go, okay, 
It's going to take more than just this on paper or this belief system. We're going to actually have to earn the respect in CONCACAF, which I think they've been doing. Sorry to interrupt your point. No, 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 but you make a good point. And what I'd say is that hopefully it gives perspective and hopefully to the American fan that this isn't straightforward. This isn't A to B that, or like a straight line from A to B that goes up, right? It's going to be down and up and down and up. But you hope that you're still kind of trajectorying up to, to make that happen. If, if you can't see me, you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's a little bit harder to explain <laughs> audio-wise. But, 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 but I would say that in some ways, maybe lay off the team a little bit. That even Mexico, the great Mexico, and all their top attacking talent, they're having trouble scoring goals. They're having trouble figuring out their offense. I mean, this is a team that came in as the heavy favorites and looked like it. Uh, to win the whole thing or at least uh, you know be on top of the table at the end of the, all this world cup qualifying and they're struggling right now and now they want their coach who we all think and respect is a good coach they want him out it's really interesting for me how quickly things can turn uh, it's a knife knife's edge in, in in some ways i do though want to go back to canada to dre's point i am going to talk about canada here and and i think what they learned in the gold cup to tie two of your guys's points together is that they could rely on some depth we use the gold cup for the same reason and and I think we started to see, ah, uh, we can trust a Miles Robinson to be our guy in the back line. Ah, uh, we can trust a Matt Turner. And with Canada, you're like, ah, uh, we can trust, you know, whoever it is, Kyle Laren or or well, even though he well, was they continue hurt. to change their whole back line. That's they what's do. impressive to me is they don't even start the same back line every game. They play in a three or they play in a four. They rotate these players and they're all stepping up, getting you know, convincing defensive performances. It's been impressive. And then then you add in the fact that they didn't even start Jonathan David. Last night, Jonathan David leads because they watched the show. Jenny, Jimmy, they got I got Carl Aaron in my Concacaf eleven. They were like, he's got a point there. You, you he's call got me the Jenny. Most goals you call 20. me Jenny or Jimmy. It doesn't matter, yeah. Heath. I know I, I agree <laughs> with you. Jenny and Jimmy both agree with you here. But but the fact that they have that type of depth. When we played against Canada back in the day, you really just had to worry about Dwayne De Rosario, and that was really it. Now they had big guys up top, guys that would work hard and do the job, but they're nowhere near as talented as the guys that they have now. And the fact that they could have the luxury of bringing Jonathan David off the bench. The guy has eight goals in the league. He's by himself. He's not tied with anybody else. And this is a league that has Mbappe and Neymar and Messi. It's like they have chumps in Liga. They have some of the top attacking talent in the world. And Jonathan David's name is on the top of that list. And he's not even starting against Mexico is wild to me. And it was the right call. It was the right call. Kyle Aaron had a brace. And on top of that, they really attack the vulnerabilities of Mexico, vulnerable on defensive set pieces, and, and you can catch them on the counter if you can turn them over when they're trying to play out of stuff. Uh, scoring that goal right before halftime, I think turned the tide, and then obviously scoring right after halftime mm-hmm. sealed the game. But but I like the intent, the, the intensity of uh, and the attitude of Canada. I like that they're they're definitely bought into the project, and obviously now we're seeing the fruits of their labor. It's still a long way to go, but they're a team. I'll just say this: I'll get ahead of it and put my flag on the ground. If we get, if I had Canada in my group in the World Cup. I would be bummed because they're going to be very good and they're a team that I wouldn't want to face. Ah, oh, that's a lot. That's a, you're, Now you're saying a lot, Jimmy. But everybody that's just tuning in, make sure that you like, comment, scared. and subscribe. And don't like scared. that comment from Jimmy. Throw in a comment if you agree with that. You'd be scared of Canada scared. in a World Cup. Dre, what, what, what's your, do you think the narrative is changing uh, in terms yeah. of the U.S. success in this window? Right. So to go back to that question about like how does that uh, result affect our, our uh, perception of, of the U.S. and U.S. performances, I think, one, the math is better, right? Because Mexico having won would have put Mexico a little bit further ahead um, of the U.S. Uh, in, in terms of the actual table. And I think you don't want to just qualify. It looks like you're going to qualify. You want to actually win CONCACAF. You want to atone for the sins of Russia 2018. And, and I think this is a team that can do that. Um, but beyond that, I think it, it, it does 
there's something I got a chance to talk to uh, Greg Berhalter before every one of these uh, games that we call. And it just helps to really get that insight um, of how, on, on how they think, uh, how they think about uh, these games and how they approach them. And I don't think he would have been all that surprised about what he saw. And I don't think U.S. fans should be that surprised because we're seeing this familiar pattern repeat itself. And that is the U.S. play at home. They look good. They look dominate, uh, dominant. The coach gets asked, was this your magnus opus? Was this the best performance that you've had out of your team? And it's been this sort of constant and steady growth that we can see from the U.S. when they play on home soil, when they're feeding off the crowds and the fans and the energy. And it just looks like a completely different team. Away from home, we've got to be honest with ourselves, we've had one good half of football. Mm-hmm. And it was against Honduras. It was a breakout performance. Honduras is not uh, one of the top teams. It's not a team that looks headed for the World Cup. And so that, um, that, per- that lack of... Uh, Meeting the moment, meeting the the occasion away from home and World Cup qualifying is something we haven't yet seen with any sort of consistency from the United States. And I think that's yes, you can look at the you know uh, Mexico results struggling away from home and think, well, it happens to them, it could happen to us. But I think what you need is to be convinced that Honduras wasn't a fluke, that this team can go away from home and make themselves at home and, and be the protagonist and be the aggressor. And I think there's something interesting about the format that may be playing a part in this, right? Because the, you guys, you were both once upon a time, World Cup, World Cup better, uh, USA national team veterans. You knew what it was like to go play in difficult places. These young guys, for the most part, didn't before this third round. Like there weren't other rounds for them to go and play against Belize and Haiti and to go through the motions of what it was like to go and play against lesser opposition in difficult environments on crappy pitches. And I think that helps. Obviously the teams wouldn't be at the same quality of what they're playing against now, but it still helps sort of mentalize how do we match the intent how do what's our pregame prep like what's our routine like um that's something that they've had to learn in a very small sample size of away games just in this third round of qualifying and so they couldn't really iron out those kinks before getting here they seem to be doing that a bit uh now i don't think they were played out of the park by jamaica for example um but certainly there's a big difference between what you see from the u.s at home and what they're seeing away and i think the lack of away experience might be playing a part yeah, let me ask you guys this, and you give me a one-word answer, and everyone that's watching this, I want to know, will Canada finish at the top of the Ocho when it's all said and done? No. Jimmy? I'm fat. One-word <laughs> answer, I said. Don't, don't. I'll let you sit there and think, but you don't get to think it out loud. I don't want any explanation. We'll get to an explanation later, but yes or I'll no? I'll say, you know what? For, for, for fun, I'll say Yes. Okay. They, they no, the no, Jimmy, stop. You get one word answer. You get one. You get one word answer. And everybody in the comments, let us know if, if you think Canada finished at the top of the Ocho. If not, I want to know who you think will finish at the top. <laughs> Just got a from the phenomenal. Oh my, I can't say that. Uh, nope, uh, for the name. Uh, Des throwing up some uh, questionable uh, screen <laughs> names here. Uh, forever knowledgeable. I can say that. Yes, uh, as one. You know, when I when I look about this, Dre. You know, the narrative was always. Grind on the road, smash and grab job, fight it out. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. I don't remember the U.S., whether I was part of it or not, ever going down and dominating any of these matches. Now, do you think that we need to get to a point where we're not necessarily dominating, but like we played pretty poor against Jamaica. We played pretty poor against El Salvador. We played very poor against Panama. We played very poor in a half against Honduras. At what point do we just at least compete? You know, uh, Canada going down to Mexico. And again, I know Mexico is an outlier because there's always an extra motivation when you play against them. Uh, But do you think that there's a level of development that has to happen where it's like, okay, maybe we're not going to play great, but we're going to at least be in the game. You know, we're going to at least have a game plan that, I mean, that Jamaica game didn't look like we had a game plan or a solution to problems that were presenting themselves, whether in real time 
or in preparation to the game where we were able to settle back into it, especially when, uh, I mean, I'm saying after Mikel Antonio scored, we got punched in the face and we didn't seem to know what to do. Now, it's one thing to be like, we're going to sit in blocks, we're going to withstand pressure, we're going to let them have the ball, we're going to have this game plan that neutralizes our ability to play poorly, and we're going to just be a little bit more kind of, we're going to do two, three things really, really well. But it doesn't seem like that. Do you think there's an expectation we should have, or are we going to just continue to always try to go and qualify where ugly away, pretty at home, it's just going to get prettier as the players get better? Um, or do you think that there's something in there? So for starters, I'll take, you know, Pretty at home, ugly away. If it means three points, one point, three point, one point. Like I'll take that. But ugly or poorly? That's I guess the difference is what I'm what mm-hmm, I'm getting at. Like mm-hmm. ugly away or poor, playing poorly and like hopeful. That game I'll against see. Jamaica was hopeful. If they finish clear chances, we lose that game. Yeah. No, they, lo- they actually three one Jamaica would have been a very fair result, yeah. and we can get into that uh, into why that that would be the case. Um, no, you're right to make the distinction between ugly and poorly. Like I don't mind ugly. Poorly is, is a lot more disappointing. I think deflating is the word that I used um, at the end of it. Right. It was a deflating one one draw, and not for the, the two points dropped, but for the performance itself, I always care more. The, the thing that I love about this game is I can't think of another team sport where you can outplay the opposition and lose. Soccer is the only sport where that could happen. And so as a result, I care way more about performance. I care way more, way more about the way teams play than whether they pick up zero, one or three points at the end. In, in, in the sense that it's more interesting to me mm-hmm, to talk mm-hmm. about those things. Right. And so to put played poorly in sort of a, in a, in a stats context that, um, Bobby Reed miss in front of goal was a higher XG value than the entirety of the United States for the 90 minutes. Right. So that that's poorly. Like we played poor. We did not create enough. We did. Which really came play. off of a bad turnover, uh, you know, a missed clearance. That's basically a drop down to him, which is yeah. again, uh, uh, when we talk about performances, those are the things that you don't get away with at the next level. We got lucky when you right. give up chances like that. Credit, credit to Stefan a little bit. He made himself huge and, and, and made uh, Bobby Reed panic a little bit, but that's one that you would expect him and almost anybody else uh, to put away. That would have been enough to beat us. Uh, the, the, the goal that was disallowed was, let's say, soft to be to be very kind. It's a kind of, yeah, fine, okay, it's a foul maybe, but it's the kind of foul that you see on every single corner kick. Um, and so, again, how they played, what, what to your point about what the game plan was, I loved that at the start of the uh, second half against Mexico um, and after... Uh, scoring the first goal against Mexico, the U.S. had five guys up in the final third when Mexico were trying to play out of the back. Mm-hmm. We basically, you know, put the stick in the ground, as Jimmy said, and told them, you're not getting out of your own half. And they didn't. And in this game, we seem so much more withdrawn and so much more passive in the, mid- in the middle. It, 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 Jamaica were very, very comfortable. And so it wasn't a game in which we're going to be able to, to just absorb and, co- and, and counter against Jamaica. Jamaica have uh, the athleticism, the numbers, the the, the defensive um, organization to deal with that and so what it was a game where we seemed absolutely lost where whatever we were trying to do wasn't evident enough for us to then say okay well that was the game plan which is why I, get, I think what you were getting at here. yeah jimmy let me ask you this Hi. you know the the narrative of the um constructive criticizers on on social media have gone from <laughs> nine out of ten greg berhalter picks the right lineup for this game this is exactly what we want to see to being like now you see how big of a deal Weston McKinney is when he's not on the field, right? That became the shift instead of being like, maybe the lineup is the wrong one. It became, oh, we were with, l- l- missing Weston McKinney. So with, with your take on this, what you saw was Weston McKinney, uh, the piece that was missing. I think it's a little bit insane in my perspective, which I'll explain in a little bit. But in terms of performances, did we learn anything from this or did we just get more questions at the end of this window? Well, I think we learned that our guys are not robots, that they will tire at some point, that they can't necessarily run and track for 90 minutes. Um, 
in maybe a short period of time, which is something to take into consideration because when we do play Canada in the January transfer window, transfer window, January international window, and there's a transfer window too. We're yeah. getting ahead of myself here. We're we tar- actually, you we weren't actually wrong, play- but you weren't right. You know? Right. We play, we, we play them second. We have to go to Canada in our second game. So now we, we kind of do the same thing we had to do in the first window, which was we play El Salvador first, this time at home. But then we got to kind of rotate the squad so that we have our healthy guys so we're ready to go in Canada, which I think is going to be a tremendous game on January 30th. Yeah. That said... It'll be on turf and indoor because of the conditions of the seasonal, right? I'm assuming it can't be anywhere else. Uh, I, I, I assume so they're going to try to like do it, the same thing they did before against yeah, Mexico. Yeah, but you're talking about... Fro- like, it's actually... Fro- the ground's frozen there. The frozen like tundra, the, yes. Yeah. I don't yes. know if you can actually play in those types of conditions on, on grass. Uh, so I, I would think that I, that helps the U.S., but I certainly don't want to play Canada anyway a, at home. No, of course. And this is a Canada team that has so much belief in themselves. It's going to be a tall order. But they have their own game in Honduras to worry about first uh, in that window. What I'll say very quickly, though, and I'll kind of rein, reinforce what I said uh, in our recap of, of the game against Jamaica. The game looked very similar to our first game against El Salvador, where we just we weren't creating clear-cut chances. We weren't really you know finding those combinations your team away scores a great goal i love that ricardo pepe came into a spot to help combine to make something happen we didn't see a lot of that frankly it happened once and we struggled to to really replicate that type of numerical advantage or or that type of movement off the ball or a little playing and moving any one twos uh, on a regular basis and so it looked like maybe some of our guys were trying to do more than than the game allowed and that's where we need to be able to adapt and be like all right if this is going to be taken away, where can we exploit what they are giving us? And, and I don't think we did that very well. In the El Salvador game, I remember, we had space out wide, but it was like we were trying to make that perfect pass as opposed to just, just whip it in sometimes. And if you whip it in with some good timing of the runs, you might get on the end of it. But if we're trying to take that extra touch, then those runs are now dead, and now everything's slowed down. And just feel like we're a little bit off in that regard and didn't necessarily solve it. And for the first time in a long time here in qualifying, we didn't have the right answers at halftime either. We came off, came out of the blocks really well. First 15, 20 minutes, excellent. But yeah. we didn't have the answers there. Would Weston McKinney solve it? He might have helped. You know, he does, as we've talked about, has that clutch gene. He likes was it an the, energy? I don't, I don't think it was People were talking about thing. the energy and the passion, and I don't think the team lacked energy or passion. I just think it was a cohesion thing. It was a game plan thing. It was an execution right. of that, that game plan. Whereas Weston McKinney brings you energy. If the energy is low, fantastic. Brendan Aronson brings energy. Matthew Hoppy brings energy. Sure, but sure. I, I don't think we lack that. I think that's the one thing we know we get. It. The fight is there. The energy is there. But the execution of that, I thought, was, was, was off. I, I always yeah. think it's a good idea right. of... I always think you get a good idea of how a team is trying to play by who has the most touches, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you look at the game against Mexico, and it was Tyler Adams by a lot. And what does that tell you? That tells you that Adams is pulling the strings. It tells you we're playing in the opposition's half. Um, it, it Typically, in a game where someone like a Walker Zimmerman, which was the case here, has the most touches for the U.S., that's a game when you're on the back foot, when you're recycling possession a lot, when you're you know having to put out fires, play out of the back. There isn't a lot there, so you have to recycle it right back to the center backs. And so at the, at the end of that first half, which the first half was better than the second half for the U.S. against Jamaica, at the end of that first half, the most touches on the team were Walker Zimmerman, who, as I said, not a great sign when it's one of your center backs, and uh, Busio who Busio was the one who was obviously playing in place of, of Weston McKinney. I liked Busio's performance, but he's a very different player to what McKinney is. He's not a guy who's going to be playing at the edge of the, of the final third. He's more a guy who wants to be a little bit of a regista, who wants to be a little bit deeper and sort of pick out his passes, who's not going to get stuck in quite as much, and isn't going to go into opposition territory to help you win back the ball. I think that tells you a little bit of you know where this game was played against Mexico. We were playing in Mexico's half. We were close to their goal. We're you know, troubling Memo Ochoa against Jamaica. 
we were much further back, had a lot longer uh, area to traverse, and then didn't really have the playmakers in the center of the park, right? Where does um, the we played about ten to eleven good minutes from the moment that um, that Tim Wea scored the goal until Mikel Antonio's absolute blast went when the team was deflated, right? And I think up to that point, we were seeing Tim Wea pop up in a more central area to try and create, which is actually where he got the goal from. Brendan Aronson occasionally doing that, but then that that went away. And if you don't have a Weston McKinney there, if Busio is more withdrawn, I guess Musa is the one guy who was sort of doing that, that was more about keeping possession and really creating key chances. Um, that, to me, was the big difference between the two games. We didn't have the ball close enough to their 18 at the feet of players who were going to create chances for others. Yeah. You know, there was, a, I think it was Julio Campos uh, that had just put a comment up that we should bring in more attackers uh, so that it's not all being put on the Ricardo Pepe's uh, of the world. Do you think that this, we're, we're seeing him settling in differently? Because I think that his performances are still great with the national team. I think he's super efficient. He almost never loses the ball in hold-up play or combination play. He do, He's not wasteful. He, and he gets back into the high spots. I think that we're not doing him a service of getting him into the spots that we need for him to score goals. But in, in the run of play, he checks back, he checks in, he holds the ball well, he plays quickly, he creates imbalances, and he does a lot of this work that I think people won't measure a striker from ultimately, but I think is still the, by and large, the best option that we have. I mean, uh, Jimmy, what's your what's your take on Ricardo Pepe? Because I know a lot of people are going to look at it and go, yeah, but we're bringing him on to score goals. Um, and is that on him? Or what? I guess on a 10 scale, where are you putting Ricardo Pepe right now? Yeah, I, I think he's doing well. Ultimately, he's still young, right? And now he's going into some tough spots to go play and get results against teams that are now stacking him up. And let's be honest, if we take Ricardo Pepe in particular, he scored two goals against this Jamaica team the last time they played. So why wouldn't they figure out a way to shut him down? I mean, they, they know they have enough tape. They've seen what they can do. They've seen other teams shut him down. They know how that's what's going to happen. You're not an unknown quantity anymore. And that's what really separates the, the, the good from the great is, okay, when teams still know you, let's take Robert Lewandowski as an example, can you still create space and have influence? And if you're not scoring goals, what else are you doing? Now, to your point, I do think he's doing a lot of the thankless stuff. He is looking to combine. He is still trying to be influential in and around the box. But if there's no space for him to run into, if there's no space where they can't get a big paw on him and, and hold him down when he's about to jump or whatever, which is what you're going to get a lot of, especially in CONCACAF, it's going to be difficult. And if we're not whipping in those early balls, and, and if we... If obviously, if we could replicate what we did against Mexico in the second half, where it was clear that anytime we got in 1v1 situations out wide, we didn't need to beat those players outright, but just create enough of a gap. Steve Ralston-esque, that's a throwback for everybody, who is a master and not being very fast, but getting enough of a space to whip in a good ball. And that's why Taylor Twelman and Pat Noonan scored a bunch of goals, because their timing of those runs and knowing when he was going to do it was so good. And if we can get to that level... With our, our our guys, when they recognize that's when the situation is on and Ricardo Pepe can make those good hard runs, I think he's going to hit the, the back of the net more often than not. Right now, he's just fighting for a lot of second balls in the box off of crosses or set pieces and hoping to knock something down and get something yeah. on frame. There's not a lot going on, but when teams sit back, it's going to be harder for him to find that space. So it's, it's a difficult one. I don't think it's as so cut and dry, so black and white that Ricardo Pepe needs to do X so that yeah. Y will happen. I think there's a lot of gray there to to how to get him have more success and it, the more dangerous our attackers are the more that the center backs will have to pull out to cover for those guys and that should open up space but they have to do that consistently for that to happen and 
I just think that he's just not a unknown quantity anymore. It's just going to be a little yeah. bit harder for him to find it. Hey, Dre, before you jump in on this, uh, for anybody that's just joining us, make sure you comment, like, and subscribe to this channel. Throw those comments in. We'll get them onto the screen. We're enjoying those. And here's a question for all of you. Uh, not necessarily you two on the show, but anybody that's watching this. If not Ricardo Pepe, then who would you have at the number nine? Now, Dre, I think one of the issues, and, and as I was explaining it before, it came to, my, came to mind, is predictability. Jimmy talked about, you know, Timo Weah is good because after the first two times he did it, you knew I'm going to take two touches. And as soon as I have my gap, I'm whipping this, I'm whipping this ball in hard and, and fast. And we saw that theme happen throughout the game where the team started to be able to understand Christian Pulisic was able to make better runs and things like that. How much of the, the team's game plan do you think is about becoming more predictable for your own teammates as a team in terms of how we hold up, how we hold a play, how we attack, how we press as a unit? Cause again, I don't think energy is the issue with this team. Maybe there was moments that we didn't pick and choose our energy right against Jamaica, but it's more of like the timing and and the predictability of when we press, when we drop, when we move, kind of who's checking in, who's making the runs. All that fluidity that happens in a game, I think when the team is off, that happens for like three, four, five minutes, and then we start to look really, really nervous and bad and sort of confused as where the solutions to problems are. Right, so personnel-wise, it was only two changes, right, between the Mexico game and this one. Mm -hmm. And so, if if these kinds of if we were seeing these kinds of performances at home, then I would think, yeah, these guys are all young; they still need the time to to play from memory to really acclimate. Um, but the the difference in these in, in these results, excuse not in the results, the difference in these performances um, suggests to me that it's more the mental side of it, right? Because uh, sometimes this is something I was talking with uh, with Maurice Adu, my commentary partner, uh, and your good friend. There's uh, your humble brag for the day. You only get one of those, Dre. You only get one. You get to hang out with Mo Adu. Uh, he's Jimmy, the best. Jimmy hasn't used his yet, but we'll uh, we'll <laughs> we'll get there. So we were chatting about that afterwards, um, and the lack of of a crowd, even away from home, um, is is not really a plus, right? Like, yes, uh, a very big. You know, they said it was going to be 5,000 fans. There were clearly not 5,000 fans um, at the office uh, in Kingston. Um, but even if that stadium is packed, yes, that helps Jamaica because they have a crowd that they can feed off of. But I think of a line that Dwayne Wade used to say when he was playing for the Miami Heat is that when I'm on the road, they boo for me, right? You guys are both players. You know that you can actually turn that around and take that uh, hostility and use it as a motivating factor. And so what these guys have, whether it was in El Salvador, um, whether it was in Honduras, uh, now with Jamaica, they aren't great crowds. And so you're away from home. You're not getting the, the buzz of the home crowd. You're not really getting, you know, vilified by the away crowd. And so I do think it's more of the mental thing than the familiarity thing with this team in terms of figuring out how, whether, how, to, how, to, how to motivate themselves, what the routines are like, um, how to maintain the, if not energy, then let's say, let's use intensity in those games. Yeah. So Jimmy, do you I, think I'll, suffering, I'll suffering efficiently is something that exists? Can you suffer efficiently? Because it you seems can. like you suffer inefficiently. Look, talk about Diego Simeone. That guy is a master at making sure his teams <laughs> suffer efficiently. Yeah, I think that's 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 part of it. And and I guess the takeaway is, and I and I found a cool stat here, was that um, the U.S. has five points from four road games in this round. In the entire hex of 2018, the U.S. had three points from five road games. So, so it's not. But what all about the one before that? What about the I, I, like 18? I'm just beginning. saying. Like, I'm just sucked. seeing. Uh, but what about 14? That's what. That's the. Is, is that on there as well or no? No, I don't have 14. Uh, maybe, maybe our Sorry, producer man. Des will. We'll see what the we'll 14 that road out. points. But, are. but yes, in terms of suffering, you you have to do that, and and that's why I thought replicating the lineup or having it as close as possible to Mexico is good. That consistency is good. We need that. So that these guys can suffer together. And we still got a result. Yeah, it wasn't great. But we got a result. And I don't know if we could have said that about this team a year and a half, two years ago in this core. But now they're starting to age. They're starting to get more mature. They're evolving. 
their sophistication and, and knowing of each other is just going to continue to get stronger and their bonds are going to get stronger. What I'll say very quickly, when I think about the tactics that maybe we could have done in the second half, because it didn't seem like Jamaica were too bothered by our subs or anything that we did at halftime or whatever, anything we talked about, maybe it was time to throw in a second striker, to throw them off a little bit. So maybe one stays higher to occupy the two center backs, and then we have somebody else a little bit more central that's picking up those second balls. And that gives us a different look, which really lends itself to why we didn't bring in a second number nine into camp. We have guys that can play that. More of us a false nine. Jesus Ferrer can <laughs> he play He plays there. with Ricardo Pepe, so how could he be a nine? <laughs> That's true. He can't. But I'm just saying he could if they wanted to replicate it. But more of a false nine, he would drop yeah. in. But Daryl DK has scored six goals in his last seven games in MLS. He's red hot for Orlando City. He's obviously proven himself that he can he can hang with some of the top defenders in the world and, and, and have success. He would have been an interesting choice. Jordan Pifok, uh, another guy that I think could, could – deal with some of the physicality that Jamaica was definitely coming with and trying to set the tone early with their tackles. Josh Sargent maybe wasn't the right guy per se, but but Pifuk and and maybe even Matthew Hoppy would have been interesting to see if we just could have had that second striker option if we wanted to use it and maybe with 30 minutes left to go instead of maybe flopping wingers for wingers. We actually brought in a second striker that could have given us a different look. And I don't know, maybe we play with a little bit more urgency like Mexico did at the end where you start to get a little bit more direct, try to win the second balls and play from there. I felt like we just tried to continue to go with the same stuff and it wasn't really working. So I don't know. That's me kind of going off on a tangent and going backwards. But uh, I don't know. We're fine. We're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to be fine. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break. If you're watching this uh, on YouTube, stay right with us. We're not going anywhere. If you're listening to this on audio, we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, we are back, everyone. Dre, thanks for sticking around. We know that you're a busy man. You got a lot to do, but we're in, I'm enjoying this conversation. And I want to talk about what will Greg Berhalter's roster look like moving forward, right? And, and I guess right off the top, uh, in terms of lineups or where the power rankings are in our goalkeeper position, Dre, has, has your, where, where do you stand in terms of the Stefan Turner type of thing? And do you think the goal from Mikel Antonio affects that standing? Do you think the way in which we played on the road against a Jamaica was very different than where you get the strengths from Stefan. Didn't really he didn't get called upon to relieve us of pressure and hold the ball much. We seemed in much more of a panic, which I think plays into a little bit more into Turner's style of play of just being more direct and safe. I mean, which which goalkeeper are you going with at this moment? That's interesting. We're gonna do like an old uh, an old Carlo Ancelotti uh, Casillas <laughs> versus Kaylor Navas. Like we'll have one play the home games, one play the away games. Yeah, but it's, I'm gonna go. see. The, I'm gonna see the corny. Uh, no, it's listen. It's not a terrible idea. I'm here for it. Like Bob it, Bradley it, does first half substitutes in Major League Soccer every weekend now. The game is changing, man. You gotta yeah. evolve. 
Right. If you're not going to be as aggressive as proactive, you know, then yeah, maybe Turner away from home uh, makes some sense. I think Zach Steffen is the number one. Um, I, I love what he does. If you ask Greg about him, um, he thinks that despite not playing um, as often, obviously, as Turner does, the fact that he trains with uh, someone who many consider to be the best goalkeeper on the planet, definitely one of the guys that's in the conversation um, at Manchester City, uh, helps. Yeah, but you got the best hitting coach in tennis. You're going to win tennis tournaments? Let's go, man. Like, what do you mean? You get By proxy, he's going to be great for us. We need minutes. Did you see Stefan in the first half against uh, Mexico? Did it look like he needed uh, minutes to, to keep us in that game? No, that, oh, that slot, <laughs> that slot through to Yunus Musa through three guys, man. I was like Stefan for life, but you know, then I look at the goal that maybe could have say maybe he couldn't, but he definitely looked uh, frozen. So, so we have Brianna. Um, on set and she she said that he was he got caught a little bit flat-footed I you know I'm an optimist man I'm gonna give all the credit in the world to Mikel Antonio and I'm gonna say that you know Turner would have been beaten by that goal as well um and, and let's be honest that's the one you know uh, big moment that that what the goalkeeper could have potentially done anything about right because the others mm-hmm. were um a goal that got called back uh that, that would have been I think a legit goal and I think there was a couple of uh opportunities one against uh Mikel Antonio and then the miss um from uh, the Cordova Reed, where, you know, Stefan made them panic a little bit, closed them down, you know, sprinted off his line to get there. I don't know if Turner does that necessarily. I don't know if he's that type of goalkeeper, if he'll stay more on his line uh, to try and react and save it. Um, but I, I think it's a, a, a good a win-win. Uh, if Turner starts, I'm happy. If Stefan starts, I'm happy. I just think that in Greg Berhalter's mind, uh, Zach Stefan, who was the starter before being injured uh, in the Nations League, and, uh, you know, Turner Horvath going absolutely nuts uh, coming off the bench uh, to make that huge save at the end. Uh, Stefan was the starter then. And I think his performance against Mexico shows you that he probably is more than qualified to be the starter now. So I don't think that's uh, that big of an issue. What, what I would say, though, is that looking ahead to January, when you get, you know, Pulisic in a position where he can play for 90 minutes, you're getting uh, Gio Reyna uh, back, you think. These minutes and these matches that the likes of Tim Weah uh, and Aronson are getting and impressing in are going to be invaluable because then you have much more versatility uh, to, to how you manage your minutes. You have much more of a threat uh, coming off of the bench, and I think you have an overall better squad than Yeah, Jimmy, and for everybody that's that's watching this, are, are you uh, Zach Steffen or are you team uh, Matt Turner at the moment? I'm not, And I'm not saying just off of the, the, the one goal because it's such an arbitrary. He did look flat-footed, but it was a banger, and it's not like he – he made a mistake through his legs or like so, had some sort of, uh, you know, glaring air. I think that was more on the team than anything. One, not having pressure on it, but also two, not creating much in that entire game. That's a wonderful problem to have. I will go with Zach Steffen right now. I think that because of his passing ability, it gives us a different look from that position that we can thread a needle that he can, you know, hit a, a nice little long ball, 30 yards on somebody's chest, you know, in a good position that leads that player into space. Those little things do end up mattering, and I think that will probably be why he's the number one. That said, I think we've gotten ourselves into a position where if Zach's not available, he's hurt or whatever, we're all really confident in Matt Turner to go out there and do the job and make some world-class saves. So I, I, I am happy about that. I, I think Zach's the number one for now, but uh, very, very satisfied with not even a, like a number two. It's like a 1B, frankly. Yeah. Jimmy, going into the January window and, and uh, you know, Ariola season done, Sebastian Legette season done, Ricardo mm-hmm. Pepe season done, Jesus Ferreira season done. You, you, you had the January camps, Jimmy, as a player. You knew what it was like in the offseason. I think that you were probably on probably the higher 1% of in terms of the way athletes took care of themselves in the offseason. You prided yourself in that. Others don't. Uh, in terms thanks of for, the, Thanks for doing my flex. For yeah. yeah, yeah I, I just, you know, I just can't. I can't. I can't have you just talking about that Mexico go, go to goal today. We're too far <laughs> removed from the game, uh, and then obviously the goal that you scored against Mexico. But um, when I look at when I when I think about that, and we think about 
putting together that team for the end of January, do you think that the MLSers have a, a little bit of a, a a tougher go considering they're, you know, you're, you're talking about now that they don't have a game and they'll have the December game, Bosnia and Herzegovina. But like from there, there's really nothing else happening until the end of January. And maybe there's a January camp that gets them a couple prep games. But I mean, does that affect uh, the players you put in the team? We know with goalkeepers, it's a little bit different, but for field players, I mean, it's a big deal. No, it's a big deal. And I do think it should be part of the narrative with regard to the season schedule that MLS has and how it does hurt the players in this particular moment. I find the December game quite interesting. I don't remember us ever playing in December ever. I can't even remember a time we had a game in December, but maybe that's prepping us for hope that we're going to be in December in the world cup. That would be a, a nice omen. But yes, to your point, I think that those guys that are definitely in the pool, Ricardo Pepe in particular, I could see him also going to go on loan potentially in January, if they can get him somewhere for four to six weeks. Uh, I think they'll have a lot of interest to, to maybe go into just train with somebody uh, with practicing for a little while. Iron. We've example. seen that with we've seen it with Eddie yeah. Johnson. Eddie Johnson with Manchester United. I remember him coming back to a January camp after he did two couple weeks with Louis Saha and those guys at Man United. I, I I have never seen a better version of Eddie Johnson. The guy was fantastic. I couldn't defend him. So so hopefully there's an opportunity like that. I'm sure. I don't know why everybody would be looking to make that happen, even FC Dallas, for a training opportunity for him to go over there and, and get a look. With this game in December, I feel like there's just going to kind of be this constant camp. You're going to probably roll a couple weeks into that game, all the MLS guys that are available. Then you're going to take the holidays off, and then you're going to ramp back up again at the beginning of January. We're, we're in a World Cup year. We're very close to it. There's no more dicking around, and there's no more leaving things to chance or letting guys have a little bit of a break. This is the real deal. It's time to get serious. And I remember that camp before the World Cup that I was in. I was still on the bubble at that point, six months out, and, and that camp was flying. I mean, if you want a really good level at a camp, Go to the camp that's the last one, January camp, that is. That was six weeks. Cup. I remember that one. Uh, it was I was, in, one. I was it in that was so one. I learned, tough. It I was learned fast. A, learned a lot that one uh, in, in that camp. Dre, let me ask you this. Do you have most of your starting item, uh, starting 11 figured out? All all things equal, everyone healthy? Uh, you know, we're talking about Gio Reyna being back in the team. We're talking about other players playing regularly at their club teams in a perfect world. Are you close to what your 11 would 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 look like? And I guess what would be the tough changes that you would have to make uh, from the current group we have now compared to when we're fully healthy and fit, which I don't know if we'll ever be because uh, right. that's the nature of the game. But I just want to get your uh, perspective on that. So you probably have three, right? I think your goalkeeper, we answered that question, at least in terms of our opinion. Um, it looks like your fullbacks, your best options, if you're look, looking at your best 11, are uh, Sergio Des on the right, Anthony Robinson on the, on the left. DeAndre Yedlin played really, really well against Mexico in particular to, to keep himself in the conversation, especially if you need more of a you know defensive uh, mindset for a game than Possibly Whoa, did you just say DeAndre Yedlin defensive mindset? Well, as, I opposed, not... to Sergin as opposed to Sergio Dest, right? Okay, okay, yeah. In context, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> right. So this, this is what I love about this. Uh, about it. <laughs> Nobody gets away with anything. Like you need to actually like back up what you're talking about. So, this is why we tune in. Um, I think in the midfield, you've, you've sorted out your best midfield trio, and it's my favorite part of this team right now. Uh, it's, it's McKinney, um, Adams, and Musa, which, by the way, I love watching Musa play. Like, Ooh, amen to that. He's a big yeah, dude. Looks, yeah. He looks solid, but somehow he's just gliding all over the pitch. There's no wasted movement. He's my favorite type of central midfielder, and I'm just mesmerized by him. If I wasn't calling the game, I'd just be fixated on watching Musa play um, for the entirety of the 90 minutes, um, although he got taken off on, after 66, much to my chagrin. Um, okay. And in attack, I think you're looking at Pepe probably has that 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 pole position to be the number nine because I love that you pointed out his hold of play, which I thought was terrific against, against Mexico, good uh, against uh, uh, Jamaica, 
although he didn't have as many touches. Um, and he had probably just the, like two opportunities, one against Mexico, one against Jamaica. He'd like to have those back. There, there are chances that he probably uh, puts away. But again, our, our, I think our total XG for that game was like 0.6. So it, it wasn't even one whole uh, goal worth of uh, expected goals. Um, and no question that Gio Reyna um, and Christian Pulisic would be in your starting 11, right? So that, that basically is your 11. I think the only place where you have uh, a question where it's a 1A, 1B situation is where is John Anthony Brooks when the January uh, window comes around? Is he playing at a level where you feel comfortable starting him? Um, or is it uh, the, the guys that you're rolling with now in Miles um, Robinson when he's when he's available uh, in Walker Zimmerman? Jimmy, what, what's your take? Because I think Walker Zimmerman's my number one in the, at the center back position only because when I go back to what I said earlier about predictability, He's one of the few players he's not going to play. He doesn't have a range of pass. He's just a little more traditional of a center back. But he, at least you see this consistent effort fight, winning aerial duels, on-the-ground challenges, kind of recovery runs. He just seems to understand the position so well that I do think the players around him can then have a little bit more balance of a role or predictability for where they need to be and where they need to make plays. But anyways, we got... Uh, Kaylani talking about uh, Scally is the, is the USA's best right back, Jimmy. So, I mean, in terms of your best 11 right now, I mean, I, I would love to hear it. And does it differ from Dre's? Well, maybe. I, I was thinking about 50 different things when Dre was in the invention <laughs> his team. Uh, so, so, Dest is the interesting one for me because he is having a lot of success as a winger for Barcelona right now. So, I'm very curious to see how Xavi sets him up now that he takes over. And now, obviously, with the emergence of or re-emergence of Danny Alves back in the team, which I don't think will kick in until January anyway. But still having his influence, I wonder how that's going to help Dest from, from an outside back perspective or for a winger. So I'm curious about Dest because if he, we now start to see him and Scally can emerge and Yedlin can be a little bit more consistent at the right back perspective. And I thought Yedlin was good these last two games. Then, then maybe we see Dest as a different option. And then all of a sudden, we get really crowded in the winger spot because Aronson has emerged uh, team away obviously had three very good games last three games for us. When Reyna gets healthy, Pool is sick. There's just a lot of options in this particular area. It, it, my my midfield's for sure set. Adams, McKinney, Musa, that's easy. Anthony Robinson. I'd go with Zimmerman as well for all the reasons. I was actually talking to somebody about how I loved playing with Eddie Pope when I played for the national team. And they're like, well, that's because you're the talker. And Eddie doesn't say that much. And I think Walker is a talker as well where, and I know that rhymes, so don't roll your eyes, but, but he is very good at the intangibles, holding a pretty good line, being very good in terms of communication, putting guys in good spots. Ultimately, as Richard Goff, the famous Scottish defender, once told me when I asked him for advice when I first showed up as an MLS rookie with San Jose, I'm like, what do you got for me? Like, what can I learn? He's like, just put fires out before they start. And I was like, that's it? Like, that's, that's your – okay. But then yeah. he was so right. It was, it, was, it, it was the simple way to answer yeah, that. Yeah, shift put, a player a half step this way, cut and off it, that it, lane. And it does your job. Yeah. It does your job for you, and it makes everything so more, much more predictable. And I think Walker's very good at that. Now, Miles, I think, has been, has been awesome. So he would start – I don't think I, he was I, great this last camp, to be honest with you. He wasn't great, but – Well, but, I don't think he finished the uh, – who did we play in the end of the last uh, window? Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Yeah, I That's think right. the, he gave up those the last chance. three games, I, he just seemed a little bit off to the standard that we had seen from him at that point, but, sure, but not, sure. not poor by maybe, any means. Maybe, I feel like every game we had seen up until that point, he was taking steps up, 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 and now he's leveled off a little bit. Yeah. So now we have to wait to see if he can continue to take those next steps. Yes, he didn't maybe gain as much, but I still feel like he's, he's steady back there and everybody kind of knows how he plays and it's easy to build off of that. I don't know if, if I want Destin right back. That's the big question mark for me. Maybe as a winger, but but Yedlin I thought was solid. I want to see Scally at some point. Hopefully we'll get that opportunity to do that. And then up top, I agree with Pepe. Stefan's in goal for sure. Pepe, a pool is sick if he's healthy. And then I think you go with Reyna 
when, when he's healthy as well. But you yeah. know that you can trust a Wea. You know you could probably throw Dest up there. It's 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 interesting, but we've got we've got some talent, man. It's it's, it's yeah, a good time it's, to be an American fan. For the, sure. the thing the thing that I'm trying to think through is just how different Brendan Aronson is from Timo Weah from Gio Reyna, and right, how your right. team has to set up differently, right? Can can Timo Weah play on the same side as Dest? Can Gio Reyna play on the same side as Dest? I don't know. Gio Reyna is great when he's connected to the number nine, right? We see that at Dortmund. When he's not connected, he's not going to play well out on the touchlines. He needs combination play in and out of spaces. Does there need to be a hybrid type of situation where Gio Reyna is at his best? Because I've yet to see him at his best consistently. Other than Nations League, I thought he was uh, really good. But like where he has the impact that he has at the club level, where he's constantly connected, super dangerous on, uh, on the attack, in transition, all these things. Do we need to have a hybrid role in terms of where he where you place him on the field? Because we also suffer from this idea of like, okay, we've got MMA, right? We've got our central midfield figured out. Uh, Andrea, uh, I'm curious of your thoughts on this. We got MMA figured out, but it takes us a long time in games before we connect that MMA to the front line uh, and how we start to have more numbers in the box and better t- attack cohesion. Uh, they're so good together, but how do we now make the attacking three and the midfield three ha- be a defensive five and an attacking five and those types of things where they're connected? Does that require us to change at least the system of play a little bit um, when Gio Reyna's back? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because you almost have to hit the reset button, right? And a lot of the stuff that you've learned, a lot of the things that you've done well, um, maybe won't apply quite as much when you have both Pulisic and Reyna healthy because the concern going into Nations League and even during Nations League, um, which we haven't seen Reyna and Pulisic play much uh, since then, was that the team gets too narrow because those guys don't trust that if they stay out wide, that if they're tucked in toward the touchlines, that the ball is going to come to them. So they both tend to come into central areas. That sort of gets crowded, and then we lack width and attack unless you get it from your from your fullbacks. Um, and so that's sort of a puzzle that's still that, that's been sort of in suspense, waiting for these two guys to return to be able to play with this three-man midfield. Remember, Musa uh, was called in but did not play at all in those uh, two matches against Honduras and Mexico in the summer. And, you know, thankfully he sort of was patient, you know, bided his time and, and eventually came into the team. Um, and so I, I'd love to see what that dynamic is like. But clearly Pulisic and Reina are not, you know, wingers like uh, Aronson and, and Timmy Weah that are going to be super comfortable just staying out wide and waiting for the ball to come to them. They're going to be wanting more touches. How does that change uh, the, shape, the shape of the team? That's sort of to be determined. I think, by the way, it, it's not necessarily a, a negative. It's just a, a thing that has to be sorted out. Well said. Uh, we're, we're getting screamed at by our producer right now to make sure that we talk about how good Panama have been in this, uh, <laughs> in this qualifying. He's not even Panamanian, but they do deserve the respect. Um, you know, we talked earlier about that hope and belief, and it feels like Panama have that more than anyone. Jimmy, you had uh, Thomas Christensen as your, as, your, as your manager. I assume that still stays and sticks, but they've kind of got this never-say-die attitude where they get into tough spaces and get them out. Is there, is there one thing, uh, and I'll start with you, Jimmy, about Panama that you think is either a strength to the other teams in trying to qualify in terms of a weakness in Panama, or is there something that you like about them that make them potentially a wild card to the final date? Oh, it's 1,000% a wild card with Panama, and and uh, it's tough to not go with John Herdman at this point as, as the manager, and we're going to get into our best 11 in CONCACAF here in a second, but Thomas Christensen, I think, has overachieved with this current Panamanian team. I think he's done a good job of of getting a lot. They have talent, don't get me wrong, but getting a lot out of a team that didn't have maybe a lot on paper, let, let's say, and getting them to buy into a collective, which I think what we're seeing with Canada as well. We're, I feel like when you look at the U.S. and Mexico, maybe the expectations and the pressure are, are, are too high for those particular countries. 
but but we seem to maybe because of our depth as well, right? We don't get to we don't have the luxury of rolling out the same eleven guys because those are our best eleven guys. We have so many other options. We're always tinkering. And when I look at Canada, they're not really tinkering too much outside of the back line. Everything else is pretty set, and is as is their ideology and how they want to move. Panama for me feels very similar, maybe even more so because they got their 12, 13, 14 guys, and that's that. And they're either going to qualify for the World Cup or they're not. And, and they're really buying in. And I think they really benefited from having a two-game window here instead of a three because they didn't have to rotate as much. That said, there's something about them scoring three goals in five or six minutes when they're down 2-0 in Honduras that speaks to their character. And then obviously being down to El Salvador a minute into the game at home, a game they needed to win to stay, really create some distance uh, between them and everybody else that's right behind them for that fourth spot. And now everything's up for grabs. I mean, when you look at the table, it is wild. 16 points for Canada, 15 for the U.S., Mexico 14, Panama 14. I don't think we're we're near the end of this story for Panama, but I think they put themselves in a nice spot to to make something happen. And I want to give a shout-out to their their outside back, Davis, who ended up scoring the winner against Honduras, just pushing forward and, and, and kind of buying into, like, let's just go for it. I, I feel like they're the ones that are playing with house money they got nothing to lose yeah big respect jimmy for for giving love to to outside backs you know i have enough but but time and love for that dre looking at this schedule for 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 panama uh through the rest of their their qualification campaign i mean is 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 there does this look favorable to you does it look difficult compared to the way the u.s uh the u.s has to sort of see this out i know that you know kind of I'm trying to, I guess, compare schedules from here on out. Home versus away. We know the difficulties. Everybody suffers from home and away in CONCACAF. It's not just the U.S. I mean, does this look like a decent path to a World Cup for them? So I think uh, Jimmy's point about their not being able to rotate all that much is a good one. And it's probably the reason why for Panama, no matter what's left on its schedule, it's going to feel a lot tougher than it does for the U.S., for Mexico, um, or for Canada right now. Remember the uh, the first window, uh, they used the same exact 11 for three straight games, right? And, and the team seemed to tire a little bit, change things a little bit uh, during the second window, but not by that much because they just clearly did not have uh, that many options to make sort of wholesale changes. Um, so I don't expect any of this to be uh, easy for Panama, just as none of it has been easy for them to stay in this race, right? Now there's a very clear uh, delineation between the four teams that look like they're headed for uh, the top four spots Panama look like probably the favorite um, for the intercontinental playoff spot, but it, it's so tight between those four teams that really, you know, I wouldn't be stunned if it's Canada, right? Canada could finish first or they could finish fourth. Mexico could finish first or they could finish fourth. Um, so I, I, I don't see anything easy for Panama the rest of this way. What I do see is a team that, as Jimmy was saying, really knows how to fight because it was three goals in nine minutes at the end of the game um, where, it didn't, where it didn't look great. Uh, in this case, they give, a, a, give up a goal in the opening uh, minute against El Salvador and fight back with a really strong early second half performance uh, and get all three points out of that. But it's not so convincing that you think, yeah, no, they're going to have easy games home or away. And so if one of these three teams is going to fall back a little bit from the pack, you would say Panama is the most likely to. Yeah, and by the way, one of the, the the one game we were missing up on that screen was they finished their World Cup qualifying at home against Canada. So they play the U.S. Uh, away from home, and then they play Canada at home. So there's certainly uh, you know a difficult a difficult. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to jump in and say really quick their first game in that January transfer window. Or, I did it again. You got it. You're not window. right, but you're not it's, wrong, Jimmy. It's fine. Okay, it's true. <laughs> they they it just rolls January transfer window, not international one. But their first game is at home against Costa Rica. That's it. They win that game. That puts them on 17 points, and it puts Costa Rica on nine. That's their closest competitor to try to catch them for that fourth spot. 
I'm sure they're probably going to draw at this point. But but if they can win that game, I think that would ultimately set them apart. So that that one is the one to watch for sure. That's my favorite my favorite match actually. That first match day of the the next window. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's shift over to our Concacaf 11s, Dre. I'm not sure if you 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 were even supposed to be you know uh, anything to do with this. So we'd love it if you just critique ours or throw in any thoughts that you would have differently. Than that maybe we start with uh jimmy's uh des just so he can attack jimmy's 11 and then maybe be a little <laughs> bit softer on mm. on mine but we wanted to kind of go through this window and obviously we're going to shift back to you know we do this weekly show the usmnt hour every monday where we can talk about these Concacaf uh 11s but but right now coming out of this break jimmy and i kind of came into this uh with very different teams than i feel we have now some players stayed but for the most part you know we weren't giving as much respect or we tried to find respect for other players so this is Jimmy. Jimmy, walk us through your... your, your Keeler Navas, let's just say, the best goalkeeper potentially in CONCACAF history. When he plays, Costa Rica plays different. They ha- always have a chance to win when he's between the sticks. Uh, when he doesn't play, they give up soft goals like they did against Canada. But when he does play, you know, he he, he just his mere presence makes a difference. And, and they end up beating Honduras at home. Oh, so, so we're not talking about form right now, Jimmy. We're just talking about 11 then. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, well, a little bit. I'd you say know, Eric Davis, I thought, has been very good for, for Panama. I wanted to give some some uh, love. We had Bart Sanis last time yeah. in, the, in our teams, I think, collectively, because he's pulling the strings for, for, for that. But I think Eric Davis has been influential. He scored the winner against Honduras uh, to, to cap that epic comeback. I like Miles Robinson to Walker Zimmerman. I know that Miles probably isn't in your team because you're a little down on him this window, but I just like that partnership there. I have actually put one of your players that was in last time in my team, Alistair Johnson. Yeah, you I did. thought he you're was welcome. excellent. You're welcome. Thank you for bringing him to, to my attention in a more meaningful way. He's the one, the catalyst. He ended up stealing the ball that led to the first goal against Mexico. Memo Ochoa has got to look in the mirror and God, yeah, probably, do better, probably do better with that rebound. Uh, so, so, but you know, I love his spirit and I think he really kind of encapsulates what Canada is all about. Just good, hardworking guys that are making the most of their opportunity. Uh, Tyler Adams, I think arguably one of the best players in qualifying right now for both for the country and for the whole CONCACAF qualifying, uh, Stuckyow, I, I like him a lot because he's taking all the set pieces. I don't think he's getting a lot of credit and I wanted to give him some love. I think he's pulling the strings and getting the ball in good spots for those. He started scrapping a lot more too, like getting into real scraps. Than I love just that. Sort of being a little more of like quality on the ball. You're seeing a little bit more of that fight as uh, Atiba Hutchinson starts to age. Yeah. Well, I didn't know he did age. Atiba Hutchinson has been, play- I played against Atiba Hutchinson <laughs> and then Alfonso Davies is the number 10. Okay. Whatever. You can roll your eyes. Like I can play any position that I just wanted to, Put him down. No, a little he played bit up top. That's a fair position to put him in the attack now. Yeah, like it's not like you don't have to waste a fullback spot for Alfonso Davies. That's he true. Play that's there true. That's true. Kyle Laren, obviously coming off two goals, two important goals for Canada against Mexico. Mikel Antonio, two goals and three caps, scoring thunderbolts or scoring world class goals against El Salvador. I thought Tim Tim Awea has been excellent the last three games in particular. So that's who I'm going with. Dre, go ahead. Go ahead and judge me. What do you oh, think? I'm, I'm in a blind rage at the, the, <laughs> the contortions that you had to do here to keep uh, Eunice Musa out of your uh, CONCACAF top 11. Like, Thank you. I, Jeez I, Louise. I'm, now I'm, now we got some real logic I'm trying to the balance conversation. It out. I'm trying to balance I mean? it Jimmy out. helping his friends out with this list. You went out of your way. You went out of your way to keep my boy out of this. And uh, I, I honestly, like, I okay. thought he was the most impressive uh, midfielder of the three. Like Tyler Adams, we know what he's going to give you. Um, and he's absolutely brilliant and deserves to be on this list. Um, and I'm all for giving players uh, love and respect, but not at the expense. Of okay. Out. I think he's become an absolutely key piece. Um, Sit down, little boy. Sorry, Musa. I apologize. <laughs> Outside of that, I you know I tend to agree with a lot of this. Um, I, I I do like Walker Zimmerman, especially being in there because I I don't remember him losing a duel. 
during mm-hmm. these two matches. Yeah, like they yeah. said that he could start in a spaghetti western, right? Just like going around uh, winning duels, <laughs> nothing, right? Uh, putting out fires before they start, as you were saying. Um, and not just the aerial duels, right? It's not just you know when he's challenged uh, in the air. It's also the way that he knows exactly when to step up uh, to make things uh, uncomfortable for attacking players. And he does stop a lot of the like three v twos before they, they they really materialize into something dangerous. Uh, so I love his spot there. Uh, by the okay. way, with Peter Navas, you could have just removed the probably or potentially he's the greatest goalkeeper in Congregate history. Okay, that's fair. I yeah, he's the that. only one that's I mean, not based on current form. To I be just, fair. I, well, I'm, I'm still friends with Casey Keller and Tim <laughs> Howard. You know, I'm just trying to, fair. you know, I'm just trying to be respectful. But yeah, yeah. that's why I give it the probably. But I, yeah, it's hard to argue otherwise. Okay, let's see yours, Heath. Let's enough of my. My stuff. I bet you it's a con. I, I, you know, I got Dre. I got Dre on my side no, on this Tyler one Adams. because, look, when, what, of course not. I thought Tyler Adams had one. Like again, energy aside, I thought he ha- continues to have some vulnerable turnovers that I think are at pivotal moments in games that can hurt the U.S. Obviously, didn't against Mexico, but could have. Um, and it doesn't have the same. I know he had the most touches against Mexico. I respect that. In uh, in the Jamaica game, I, I just look. I just look at the team and I think, who is the who is the one that's pulling the strings for me? Who's the one that wants it when things get really bad and when this team starts to fall apart? The only one that doesn't disappear to me in the buildup or in tough times is Eunice Tyler Musa. Adams. And he oh, deserves sorry. to be and he deserves to be because he wants the ball everywhere. You see him like he, he draws in two guys and then you go, oh, man, normally in this situation, we draw, we play it backwards and we dump it long. And he just goes, no, I'm going to just shimmy this way and drive the ball up the field. And it kind of solves a lot of problems. So Eunice Musa makes my team. Walker Zimmerman, same thing. There's just something about the old school way of being a center back that makes everything he does. I just really enjoy his commitment and also when i look at just he know there's a maturity to his game that i don't think we have from our other center backs outside of maybe john anthony brooks but i haven't seen that in the national team in a little bit but there's a maturity to his game that he's been in reps and he's been in situations enough times that he knows how to solve the problems whether he's pulled wide whether he's in a challenge or a, a numerical disadvantage he just seems to make the right decision more often than not and i like him there Daniel henry was just a monster ready to start a fight and get a yellow card or potentially red from the very start against Mexico. I just really like him. Jimmy, you had him in, in your team. I know. Last I'm time actually, around, you I took him excited. out. I did. Uh, I should have kept uh, him in because I thought Alistair, he was against Mexico as well. Alistair Johnson, again, a versatility player, but he had that driving down the field shot that led to the first goal. And I just think to, to have that kind of activity for a team that's probably the most informing CONCACAF right now, I think is great. Kyle Aaron up top. He was in my team last time. I was heavily criticized because I put him over Jonathan David. Obviously, I shouldn't because Kyle Aaron's the king of CONCACAF in 2021. I think he has the most goals by by a large margin because of all the games that they've scored. Mikel Antonio proven himself. And then Timothy Way, I think credit where credit's due. He's he's just a guy, again, that uh, is is clearly kind of rounding into form. And that's the kind of form you want to continue to see. So Greg Berhalter's decision-making becomes... Um, even harder, and also, as I was saying before, brings a different type of element to the game where if we are in these types of moments, you know, route one, take two, three touches, whip the ball in the box, and just just brings a different type of game so that when we approach teams, you can look at it from a different of like, who's our best 11, but who's the right 11 against this opponent that we're playing? So go ahead, Dre, spray holes uh, in this. No, you know what? You know what? Before we get to Dre, I got to hop in and say, no Tyler Adams. <laughs> no Tyler Adams. Jimmy, I gave you Eric Davis. You liked him. I put Doniel Henry, no who you Tyler had in your last Adams. one. I gave you Kyle. I'm giving you Kyle Laren, who like, you know, the the guy who did the fish out of water celebration and all no, that was what a, what a day that was. No Tyler uh, Adams. Listen, everybody, I, listen, thanks man. for having me. I'm out. I can't deal with this anymore. Dre, Dre. Dre. <laughs> yeah, we lost Jimmy. Jimmy had to run, so we'll wrap this up without him. But uh, Dre, what's your take on this one? Uh, so Weston McKinney only played one of the two games, right? So it's it's a little bit tough for me to justify putting him on the, the, the best 11 for the qualifying window because he didn't feature at all 
uh, against Jamaica, but I do think he is uh, one of the best central midfielders, obviously, in the region. So I'm not going to be bad about him not being there. Um, I'm not uh, as hard on Tyler Adams as you are. I think, obviously, he was he was better against Mexico, where he led the team in touches, than he was against Jamaica, where you're right that he did have a couple of uh, giveaways that turned into uh, counterattacks uh, for the Jamaicans. Um, outside of that, I'll make one final comment on my Yunus Musa appreciation hour because I feel like that's how I started, mm-hmm. so that's how I'm going to close. It's so rare to find a midfielder who is simultaneously that strong and that slippery, right? Because he's just as uh, able to just have defenders sort of ricochet uh, off of him as he is to slither by two or three uh, running in to, to advance the ball, uh, to advance possession with the ball at his feet. Um, outside of that, I don't have a lot of um, critiques here. Mikel Antonio looks like the most uh, threatening number nine currently just on form right now uh, in the region. Uh, and that goal that he scored from 34 yards are absolutely scary. I think Zach Steffen probably got robbed on this, though, because neither of you had him on there, and you admit that Navas is not there on form. That's what yeah. was good enough, I think, on the balance of the two games to me. You know, it's 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 probably the cheapest placement that we had of any player. We talked about it quite a bit and at length previously because it should go to an in-form uh, goalkeeper, right? And I think Zach Steffen is in form. And then you start to go there and you go, okay, well, if I'm looking at World Cup qualifying right now and I look at this best 11, where's the balance, right? There are some players, and obviously I don't think Kaylor Navas should be the answer um, uh, you know, to, to, to that problem as well. But I look at like, okay, Panama, they're playing really well, but they're giving up a bunch of goals and they're just having to come back and score more goals, right? Yeah. And I look at Honduras, uh, El Salvador. I'm sort of like, where is the other goalkeeper in here? I thought about Matt Turner and I thought about Zach Steffen and I think that's a fair assessment that Zach Steffen probably got hard done by both of us just because of Kaylor Novice's status. We don't have another Costa Rican in this team. We don't have anybody else from any of the other. I mean, we're talking about Eric Davis, uh, which I think is, is, is respectful enough, but we're not giving, uh, it, it's, you know, this is the hard part about the 11 is you got to go like, well, if I take him out, I got to put him in. And, yeah. and so we, we went the cheap route of including the rest of CONCACAF and a goalkeeper that's not even playing right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts, Dre? Uh, and we appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, I know that uh, this is a lot of uh, fun that it feels like five minutes as opposed to what an hour and, and five minutes that we've been chatting now. Um, so appreciate the invite. Uh, like I said at the start of this, you guys are absolutely crushing it. And uh, I think when we see the U.S. Uh, next window, the same question going into this window will be the question going into that. We know they're going to be good at home. We know they're going to continue to grow and show development. Can they translate that to yeah, not better results? Because I think a point away uh, against Jamaica is a good result, but better performances are needed outside of the U.S. Amazing. Well, I appreciate the time, Dre. And as a reminder, everyone, uh, Kegel Also Pod continues. We've got the weekend preview coming up later on in the week. We've got the weekend recap live on Sunday afternoon. So make sure you don't miss that. Turn that subscribe button on so that you make sure you get everything. And make sure you go follow us on social at Kegel Also Pod. Leave us a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a review. We want to make sure that we're, we're, we're growing this community, make it bigger, making it bigger and bigger. And uh, until next time, thank you from myself, from Dre Cordero, from Paramount Plus, our uh, our brothers from another mother, and then of course our producer Des Norris, and then Jimmy Conrad, who dipped on us. We will forgive him for this time because things were getting a little bit heated. And uh, until next time, guys, thank you so much, and we will see you guys later. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present a Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.